When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, and thank you for joining us. I say us, this is um, me, Susie Dent, and Giles Brandreth, my co-presenter. We're sitting in my sitting room because everyone has very kindly come to me, eating biscuits, drinking tea, and we're going to talk about one of Giles' absolute favourite subjects. Because Giles, you're on a mission, aren't you? My mission is to kind of spread the love of etymology and word origins and um, hopefully not pull people's socks off but you have chosen a subject that's particularly dear to your heart and it's related in a way to yours I love poetry I've always loved poetry and I believe that learning poetry by heart is good for you and I got into it when I was a little boy my, the first poem I learned probably was The Owl and the Pussycat by mm. Edward Lear. Uh, I love that one. It's it's a lovely one, isn't it? It's lovely. It, yes. it just, it rings. It's just fantastic. And in fact, I called my book Dancing by the Light of the Moon because it's mm. a phrase from that. Beautiful. But I first remember consciously learning a poem when I was about eight and I went to church a lot on Sunday. I was in two choirs and I was also a server at a church in Gloucester Road in London. Mm-hmm. The little boy who, in a cassock, walked next door to the priest who was the Theurifer. You know what a Theurifer is? I don't. You don't know what a Theurifer is? No. The Theurifer is the person who, in a church, spreads the incense about. I love incense. And the incense is kept in a vessel called a Theurible. Ah, it goes back to the Greek for burning incense. Well, there you are. Yeah. So, inside the Theurible is incense, and the boat boy holds up the incense, the Theurifer takes it, puts it into the Theurible, and then waves the incense all over the congregation, all over the Bible, all over It's like a giant pomander, isn't it? A pomander, is that another word for it? Well, pomander is a thing with holes in it that yeah. smells beautiful. So, uh, aged eight, I used to do this. And one Christmas, because I was a little boy at the church who did this, they, they invited me to read a lesson in the Christmas carol concert. And afterwards, an old gentleman came to congratulate me. And he seemed very old to me. He was very tall, thin, wore little round spectacles. And one of the priests said to me, do you know who this is? And I said, no. And they said, well, this is the famous poet T.S. Eliot. Oh, Wow. And T.S. Eliot used to go to this church on a regular basis. He was one of the sidesmen, one of the church wardens. Yeah. And he was congratulating me on my reading of the lesson. And because I was well brought up, I said to him, oh, what, what sort of poems do you write, sir? <laughs> and he told me about his famous book, Old Possum's Book Cats. of Practical Cats. Yeah. And he suggested I might like to learn one. 
Uh, and the one he suggested I learn was McCavity. Yeah. McCavity is a mystery cat. He's called the Hidden Paw, for he's the master criminal who can defy the law. Anyway, I learned this for T.S. Eliot, went back and performed it to him. And so I... Favourite T.S. Eliot line, I have to just push in yep. his, which it was well known, is I measure out my life with coffee spoons. Oh, it's a great line. It's beautiful, isn't it? He's is got so that? many good lines. So T.S. Eliot got me into this. So I was banging on about how poetry is good for you. And a friend of mine said, we know it's good for you, Giles, because you go on about it. We know you think it's good. It's marvellous. But to say it's good for one, is it? Prove it. So I set out on a mission to prove that poetry is good for you. And to cut to the chase, at, uh, when I was visiting the memory laboratory at Cambridge University, I met a remarkable woman called Professor Usha Goswami. And she taught me two things. One was that if you speak poetry to small babies before they're born, the last three months before they're born and after they're born, you speak rhythmical poetry. It's the rhythm that really makes the difference. Those children, those babies, will, when they develop speech, they will speak sooner and better than those who haven't had poetry spoken to them. Oh, wow. And there's lots of evidence of this. Yeah. At the other end of the spectrum, what's interesting is that learning poetry can actually help keep dementia at bay, can keep your mind more sprightly longer. Because Mm. listening to a podcast, watching TV, they're interesting, but they're passive. I would just say for the poetry for kids, um, I brought uh, mine up with Julia Donaldson's Ah. beautiful books. And and that's a kind of modern children's poetry. That The Snail and the Whale, I have to say, makes me cry every time I read it. It's just beautiful. She's so clever with her rhyme. So it doesn't have to be what most people would think of as a traditional poem that you'll find in an anthology. Have you got any? What are the poems you've got in your head? You mentioned Lear. I think The Owl and the Pussycat was one that I learned really, really early on. And Runcible Spoon, it's the only mention in the OED as far as I know. I mean, everyone references Lear because it was his own invention. He invented the Runcible Spoon. And yeah, and no one knows what it is. He had other Runcible things as well. Oh, did he? He, he uses, there are three Runcible phenomena. But there's in, no definition for Runcible no, because no one knows what it, it means. He, it's whatever you want it to mean. It's what yeah. Edward Lear made it mean. I did something for a National Poetry Day a couple of years ago and the Oxford English Dictionary is on a mission to find dialect because dialect is such an oral tradition. It's not really captured in print as much as mainstream language, if you like, or even slang sometimes. So they're on the search for dialect and they invited poets from up and down the country to write poetry that included their favourite homegrown words. So I think I've mentioned in a previous podcast Toby Campion's brilliant definition of Mardi. But there was another lovely poem by Liz Berry who describes this kind of spectral vision of the bob owler, which is a Norfolk term for a huge moth. She calls it a darkling wench to spake her name aloud, conscious the voice of one you loved and let slip through the wing gauze of Jeth. Jeth being Norfolk for death. Um, really sinister but beautiful at the same time Poets have introduced words to our language I know Mm. that Dr Zeus great American children's poet introduced the word nerd he did in a book of his in 1950 something he did Uh, tell me all about nerd so nerd yeah that was a creature in Dr Zeus's book If I Ran the Zoo so that was from 1950 we can still buy it today kids love Dr Zeus and the narrator claims that he would collect a Nurkle a nerd and a seersucker too for his imaginary zoo quite why that became applied to somebody who you know was very bookish and socially inept uh, we're not completely sure but it was obviously meant as a term of disdain much as geek was but they've kind of been reclaimed haven't they so yeah so we've got nerd we've got some other words as well uh, from poetry. Chaucer actually coined the word Twitter, we think. 
Um, Chaucer, Geoffrey yes. Chaucer, Geoffrey 1300 Chaucer. something. 1380, he describes a bird waking in the morning who twitters desiring the wood with her sweet voice. Is that beautiful? Milton, Milton gave us a lot of words um, in English. Pandemonium, meaning um, all the devils. So it was the home of all the devils. What's interesting, I think, about these poetic turns of phrase and why I think poetry is valuable is that it's curiously, these phrases that poets come up with are companions throughout our life. My father in the 1920s, when he was at Oxford University, took part in a production of Samson Agonistes by John Milton. And for the rest of his life, there was a phrase from that play, which is in verse, no time for lamentation now, nor yet much cause. And when anything went wrong in the family, he would say, no time for lamentation now, nor yet much cause. And these phrases can echo around our heads, which I... Love. So, yeah, Milton I just, Hooray. Who else? Milton Hooray. And Milton actually also gave us Tripping the Light Fantastic with dancing. No. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous. He says, come and trip it as you go on the light fantastic toe. So we changed it somehow. Um, but trip means to dance nimbly in his poem. But you on at 7.27 this morning were on the train uh, to come and see me from Manchester and you just quoted the most brilliant Yeats poem come fairies take me out of this dull world for i would ride with you upon the wind and dance upon the mountains like a flame absolutely beautiful it is yates is fantastic good old william butler yates really really gorgeous and someone wrote um another one which i absolutely love he says and another from yates this is from patricia byron who tweeted being irish he had an abiding sense of tragedy which sustained him through temporary periods of joy yeah that gorgeous. Not not poetry as such, but, but, no, but yes, I love it. He also actually, I think, sums up the present political situation with one of his great lines: uh, "The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity." Mm. We talked about limericks um, earlier, didn't we? And that it's particularly associated with Lear, the Owl and the Pussycat, of course, not a limerick. But he he was called the poet laureate of the limerick. But the OED's entry for limerick about the name, because I'm often asked about this. They say it comes from a custom at convivial parties, according to which each member sang an extemporised nonsense verse, which was followed by a chorus containing the words, will you come up to Limerick? So that's where that comes from. The Um, Limerick is furtive and mean. You must keep her in close quarantine. Or she sinks to the slums and quickly becomes vulgar, rude and obscene. That's nice. And apparently, Liz's best-known limerick from 1822, there was a sick man of Tobago who lived long on rice gruel and sago, but at last to his bliss, the physician said this to a roast leg of mutton you may go. Oh, that's clever. <laughs> I love well, that. I love limericks. Um, yeah. any, any other phrases? Fools rush in? Yeah, that's from Pope, Alexander Pope. He, the fools are his literary critics. Nay, fly to altars, there they'll talk you dead. For fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Well, we don't fear to tread. We're going to be back after our little break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. We're back and we are talking poetry. And um, sometimes our listeners send us a bit of poetry, don't they? Oh, Susie, what, what have you been sent? Well, come Maybe on it here. was meant for you personally. Maybe is it a bit No, intimate? this is from Louise Burnham. We had to write an ode to you because we are at odds. We thought you'd know the answer as you are such clever sods. It happens each and every time we go to clean our teeth. Did Giles and Susie help me now to save me further grief? My lovely man insists that he is giving them a wash. However, in my humble eyes, this is a load of tosh. We always had to brush our teeth, not wash or soak or scrub. To me, the word evokes the act of sitting in a tub. To help my cause, I hope that you can answer my request. When cleaning teeth, which is the term you each think is the best? Fab, that's so Isn't good. Isn't that good? So good, Louise. Thank you for that. Um, well, definitely brushing. Brushing? Or cleaning, I have to say. I will say, have you cleaned your teeth yet? Have you washed your teeth? Definitely it- not washed. No, <laughs> he's wrong, Louise. You're right. It's clean brush. or brush. Not yeah. kind of generic but phrase. But people of my, my grandparents' generation, they didn't need to. They took them out. Yes. People used to have their teeth removed. Well, maybe people, that's the idea of sitting in a tub. They people sit in a gave people for their 21st birthday present false teeth. Have all your teeth out, spare yourself the pain, and have a set of false teeth, false gnashes. Wow. Yes. And, you know, on the bedside, uh, under the bed, a chamber pot on either side of the matrimonial bed, and on the side tables, a couple of glasses, and rattling around them, your gnashes. And they would go and hit each other all night. What a lovely thought. Should we do some more um, more questions? Yeah, Seeing I mean, as Louise kicked us off. Yes. With a, a lovely contribution. OK, I've got one here from um, Helen Style, who says, me again. Thanks. Keep them coming, Helen. She keeps meaning to ask where Happy as Larry comes from. Ooh. Um, there's a theory that it comes from a boxer called Larry Foley, who won lots of fights. Um, he was a prize fighter and retired early and quite rich. That's that's one story. That's nice. But actually, if you look at the linguistic evidence, it's more likely it comes from Larrikin, which was an old dialect term for a mischievous child who presumably is having all sorts of frolics and fun. Oh. And so happy as a Larrikin. Um, has been that's recorded. Nice, that's yeah, that's probably where it comes from. So thanks for that, Helen. And Alicia Barnes, who asks where the phrase felt like a gooseberry originates. She said, the question came into my ponderment. That's a great phrase. When ordering an ice cream at the weekend and gooseberry was an available flavour. Oh, wow, gooseberry ice cream. Gooseberry crumble for me all the time. Anyway, feeling like a gooseberry, we think, goes back to the idea of playing gooseberry, which was an old term for a woman chaperoning a younger woman who would go out with her suit and it's thought that the older woman would pretend to be picking gooseberries um, instead of concentrating on whatever seduction was going on. How interesting. I thought it was because the gooseberry was an uncomfortable fruit with covenantal sort of prickly prickles, hairs. Prickles. Well, it so makes sense, were, doesn't it? You were uncomfortable. At, but in fact... Oh, how interesting. That's where you think it comes from, yeah. They're just sort of idle picking of gooseberries. And that's a nice one. And I'll finish with another one on my list, which is from Gina. I'm not sure if she's in Coventry or she's called Gina Coventry. Whichever, Gina, thanks for writing in. Handsome. I heard someone described recently as handsome. We don't really hear handsome these days, do we? Um, Fit. Anyway, where does this word come from and does it have anything to do with hands? And yes, it does, because something or somebody who was handsome was 
<laughs> how can I put it? It was quite good in your hands. To be handsome meant, meant easily handleable. Should we leave it there? I've got loads more here. Thank you so much for all the questions. And I put out a request on Twitter the other day and we will come to all of those too because I got over 100 uh, questions. Somebody sent in a very long poem. We haven't got time for this. The elephant is on my back. The monkeys in the room. The cats herded the fleeing yaks. The rats run up the boom. I opened up a can of cats. The worms all went without. The box is mad with swarming bats. The frogs have weaseled out. The pigeons played among the mice. They had a wailing time. They blindly danced, not looking twice. The ducks waited in line. The cash cow and the church mouse knocked down the wolf's front door. No piggy bank could purchase repairs for it once more. That's the first quarter of the poem. Wow. As the years go by, I may find time. But well done, whoever (laughs) sent it to us. Marcus Wilson, inspired by our podcast, has turned to verse. It definitely entertains us. And if you manage to write any more, oh, he says he'll be sure to send them through. Marcus, don't listen to him. I loved it. Um, I loved it too. It's just, you know, we haven't got time for everything, have we? Um, I've got one from Suzanne Bayes. Um, who asks about the origin of rucksack. She says, is it a sack in which to keep rucks? Uh, Which is quite interesting. And the answer is no. It comes from the German ruck or rückensack, which which means backpack, literally. What Um, is a ruck that they might be? I thought a ruck was something to do with rugby. Uh, yes, I'm not quite sure what, they, what so she you, means yeah, there. Okay. Um, but she also asks about duffel coats. Um, and she was, she was wondering about those. That goes back to the Dutch duffel, which is um, a province of Antwerp in Belgium where cloth, thick woolen cloth, was made, um, well, it has been made since the 15th century. You remember the game that we played? Yes. Where you have a profession and then you lose your job. And the phrase right. is related to the job. That's right. You've, that's right. That's right. You've lost. And I needed one for a lexicographer. You did need yes. one. And happily, all our listeners have responded. Uh, Andrea Thornton, the lexicographer, becomes unlettered. Uh-huh. Quite nice. Uh, Darren Leithley offers the lexicographer becoming disemvoweled. Very good. Neat. Like that one. Quite nice from Nancy Vitavec. Denounced. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's very good. Uh, well, Ralph Schiller suggests that whoever loses their job as a lexicographer, would they be at a loss for words? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what about Helen Styles' idea? Uh, you've been expelled. Very nice. nice. Good ones. I like those. And what about this? Emma McIntosh says, firing a lexicographer should never be attempted. It would be demeaning. Oh, that's my favourite. That's good. my favourite. Well done then. I like that. Is it very time, much. Is it time for your three... My trio. Your trio of words? My trio of words, yes. Uh, none of them particularly to do with poetry, although the first one is quite poetic. It's quite lyrical, I think. Swasivius. 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 Nothing to do with lascivious, but swasivius is to be persuasive in an agreeable way. So you might find oh. yourself happily persuaded to do something by a swasivious person. And how do you spell that? S-W-A-S... I-V-I-O-U-S. Swasivious. Yeah. Mm. My second word I've included because, you know, I sometimes appear on 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. We love it. It's the only reason for watching it. And occasionally I'm asked to do, well, actually I'm always asked to do things slightly out of my comfort zone, but I do love that too. Um, But this time they've gone too far. They want me to get up, stand in that lovely circle in front of 500 people and heaven knows how many million viewers and dance and not only that dance to a silent disco so i have to put on headphones and dance to my own music and this is this is for me this next one balter b a l t e r is to dance clumsily because i'm definitely a balterer 
Um, and the third one, um, one who laughs too loudly is a cackinator. Oh, yes, as in cachination. It's with yes, a C-H C-A-C-H-I-N-N-A-T-O-R. A cackinator. Cackinator, cackles. It's not actually related to cackles, but it's a good word. Very good. Well, I'm now going off um, to an interesting event for Poetry Together. This is the project where young people, school kids, and older people, people in care homes and the like, are getting together to perform poetry that they've learned by heart. How lovely. And the children, and they're anything from 5 to 18, uh, and the old people, anything from sort of 80 to 100, uh, the children learn a poem and then invite residents from their local care home to come to the school, tea, cake, and they do the poem together. Perfect. And this is the tea party is being attended by the Duchess of Cornwall. Lovely. Who has learnt Hilaire Belloc's poem, Matilda. She's going to do it with oh, some primary school fantastic. children. Fantastic. And, and I went to a sort of, uh, one of the early rounds of this, this is sort of final and lots of people, and I saw some Chelsea pensioners in their 80s and 90s and they came marching into the room with their scarlet tunics with some children aged seven or eight and they'd put the Chelsea pensioners, those uniforms, onto the children Aww. and they all came in marching going, they're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Aww. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. How amazing. It was, it was very touching. That sounds great. I think... Um, uh, my old employer, Oxford University Press, has got something to do with Poetry by Heart, actually. I think they've got a collaboration going, which is great. I'm all for it. So, that's yeah, the we'll challenge, have a fantastic everyone. time. Between now and next Tuesday, when our next podcast comes out, if you learn two lines a day, mm. within a week, you could have learnt a sonnet. Gorgeous. Good, wouldn't it? Gorgeous. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. If you enjoy the podcast today, why not review or rate us to help spread the word? Um, If you have a question you'd like us to answer or you'd just like to get in touch, you can also email us at purple at something else.com. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production produced by Paul Smith with additional production from Lawrence Bassett, Steve Ackerman and Gully. What can you do? Gully? Gully, I'm giving you Elizabeth Browning, and Gully is in the room. Oh, please.